0: Okay, Candy, so is everyone in? Yes. Okay, terrific. Uh, good morning, everyone. I am Tia Maria Smith from PA Kin Connector, and welcome to the second of five Wisdom Wednesdays for Kinship Month 2021. So every Wednesday for the month of September, we will feature a panel of experts who will provide priceless information and enduring inf- wisdom for kinship caregivers. At PA Kin Connector, it is our mission to link kinship families to resources, information, support, and education that they need Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. So before we get started, I'd like to introduce you to the dedicated Kin Connector staff who will be available to you every month of the year. So let's start with Jill.
1: Hi, good morning. My name is Jill Boblik. I bring 24 years of experience in social work to our Kin Connector team. I'm excited to listen to today's expert panelists in an effort to gather the most up-to-date information on how we can empower our kinship caregivers. Thank you so much for spending our morning with us. Thank you, Jill. Alex. Good morning, my name is Alex Mazdam and I'm your bilingual kin connector. Um, My background's in counseling and one of my favorite parts about our program is being able to provide warm, personalized support and just, you know, getting to know families and journeying with them throughout the process of receiving help. And so if any family's interested, they can call 866-546-2111. And we're more than happy to help them out. Great. Thank you, Alex. And finally, Candy. Hi, I'm Candy Bray, and I am the program coordinator here. I have over um, 20 plus years in social service administration and I am actually a kinship child and a kinship caregiver myself. So, um, I have a heart and passion for all of you who are in the same boat as many of us and um, you guys are heroes in my book, and I just want to say thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you candy. Okay, so for today's session, we will be discussing understanding the legal and child welfare systems, so we will ask our four experts to introduce themselves share a bit of wisdom with us, and then answer your most pressing questions. So if you already have your questions in mind, please type them into the chat and we will get to as many of them as we can during the course of the meeting. And if you develop questions as you hear our panelists speak, please put those in the chat as well. So without further ado, let's meet our experts. And first up, we have Brian Bornman. Good morning, Brian. Good
2: morning. Hello, everybody, and, and thank you for having me. Uh, just a little bit about myself. Uh, currently, I am the executive director of the Pennsylvania Children's Administrators Association, uh, which represents all 67 county child welfare agencies uh, in an advocacy role and coordinating conferences. Uh, prior to that, I've been um, in social work about 30 years, uh, working in various times as a caseworker myself, um, a child therapist and a uh, solicitor for one of the county agencies before moving into this role. Um, In terms of, well, before I get started, one of the things I want to say for sure is uh, thank you to all the kinship care folks out there on behalf of the, the child welfare system. Um, the work you do uh, and the, the kids you help out, uh, it provides a critical service for the entirety of the, the child welfare system. Uh, we, we have so much research at this point to really understand that uh, minimizing the trauma to kids involved in the child welfare system is always for the good. And the more we can put kids with families and, and people that they know and have a pre-existing relationship with, the, the better they're going to be. Um, so thank you for all that you do. Uh, While we have some wonderful foster families in the system, we also are in desperate need of of family members and kin to step up and and really uh, take care of the kids that we serve. Um, So I understand we're supposed to say, what what are some things that you should know and what are some things that you should do as a kinship provider? So uh, what is something that you should know, I would say, um, many people get frustrated when dealing with county child welfare agencies um, that things don't go as fast as that you would like them to. Um, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. You it's you don't understand why they need ten years worth of financial records and and it's intrusive and everybody gets that. Um, I mean. It, folks that are in the county system certainly understand that um, and will do what they can to try to minimize that. Uh, but you, what you need to know is that these are rules that are set out by the state. It's not something that the counties really have the option to waive um, and just not do. So uh, just like if you're involved in the system or involved in, in having a study, um, there's going to be a lot of things that are foisted on you that you may not feel comfortable with and may not enjoy. Um, So too with the counties that many of these are are rules that were made above the county said that then they have to uh, uh, document and effectuate for uh, the kinship caregivers. Uh, One of the things to do, um, ask questions. Don't be be afraid to ask lots of questions so that you really understand what the process is and why things are the way they are. I know it, it can be a little intimidating. You feel like you don't want to upset the county agency or maybe things won't go the right way. But I mean, don't be afraid to ask questions um, and and be patient. I mean, it's it never, never goes as quick as you want. Clearances take longer to get back than we'd like. Um, people get overwhelmed. And uh, so it's, it's probably not going to go as quickly as you would like, um, but Above all, don't be afraid to ask questions. So those are my my two points, thank you.
0: Awesome, thank you, Brian. That was definitely helpful. I think um, transparency is also helpful to people, especially when they kind of understand, oh, it's not just me, everyone is being treated this way. And also encouraging them to ask questions, really good as well. So thank you very much for that. So our next expert is Patty Noss, Patty?
3: Good morning, everybody. My name is Patty Noss. I'm the executive director at It Takes the Village Incorporated. We are an agency that really partners with families and with the children and youth agencies to try to really bridge that gap. Sometimes that happens um, when uh, a family is involved with the child welfare system. In terms of um, my own, you know, understanding of kinship, I, I, was a kinship um, parent. I adopted um, my child. um, She is now 19 years old and is a sophomore at Kutztown University. We have um, been able to maintain um, a healthy distance slash relationship with her biological uh, family. Um, This was actually a child who was one of my best friend's granddaughters. So, you know, as you all know, you know, family is more than blood, um, but it certainly is um, very encompassing, and I think we need to, you know, always remember that that we need to stretch and and really search for who those connections can be. And I truly appreciate um, for those of you who are in the audience today that you have opened your home and opened your heart. Um, it's not necessarily easy, but it's absolutely worth it, and it's absolutely life changing. Um, And then from a professional standpoint, what we do is diligently work very hard to make sure that families' voices, specifically kinship families' voices, are being heard in this process. As Brian said in an excellent way, um, this is a complicated system. There's nothing easy, per se, about the system. But what is easy, or I should say what is, you know, basic, and I think we need to kind of get back to a lot of times, is just the basic common sense, you know, family Sort of values and structures. So, what I mean by that is, back in the day, you know, if there was something going on in your circle of family and friends, you kind of had like a kitchen table conversation, and you sat down with your key people, and there was decisions made, and we took care of our kids. And in a much larger, more complicated way, that's you know what I do. The main way we do that is through something called family group conferencing, or the same thing, different term, family group decision making. This is something that is um, able to to put some of those basics um, back into the complicated system. So what I would like you to know is that you are an integral, very important part of a team. I I really want you to really visualize yourself as part of a team because when you do, you recognize the voice that you have. Um, In family group conferencing or family group decision-making, it is a structured meeting that you are able to be a part of, your children and youth workers there and all the supports within that family structure is invited. So it's an opportunity for you to really have a voice. It's an opportunity for the kids that you're taking care of to have a voice. A lot of things are happening to you and at you and there needs to be a format, there needs to be a place where you're able to share what you need to discuss and you're able to get that information that you're looking for from um, the system through children and youth. Um, The other thing I want to point out about family group conferencing is that to my knowledge, all but one of the 67 counties are offering family group conferences to their families. So if you have not been offered one from your worker or from somebody within the agency um, or from the child advocate or, or parent attorney, bring it up. Um, and say, hey, I I heard that there's something called a family group conference where we can all come together, really figure out what are we trying to accomplish? What's been in the way of us getting that accomplished? And very importantly, you guys, there's a lot of resources out there. I'm not sure um, on a regular basis and counties how much they're offering you, but there are a lot. There's a lot of formal resources and there's a lot of informal resources. One of the parts of a family group conference is the ability to share those resources. Um, So that would be my main message to you. I would like to also give you my phone number if I could be helpful in any way in filling um, some of those gaps and even reaching out to people to help you. I would certainly be willing to do that. Um, It's 717-443-7232. Thank you again for everything you do for these kids. Truly appreciate it.
0: Uh, Thank you, Patty. That was so insightful because I don't know how many um, caregivers actually know about um, the family planning that you just discussed. So when you gave out your number, are you available for all counties or do you just specialize or are you just working in
3: a specific county? That's a great clarifying question. Currently, we are contracted to be in Uh, Lancaster County and Philadelphia counties doing the actual family group. Um, What I was certainly willing to do is to, you know, if you would have any questions or need some maybe suggestions in terms of how to access the right people to ask some of the questions within your county, absolutely be willing to have just just a dialogue. You know, just consider me a resource, and you know, in any way that I, you know, could be helpful, I certainly would be.
0: Okay. Terrific, thank you so much. All right, so our next expert, I know I shouldn't have favorites, but Carissa Phelps, who is our next expert, is definitely one of our favorites. She has worked so um, closely with PA Kin Connector. She's been so helpful to us and families. So I can't help but having a soft place in my heart for her. So now Carissa, tell us your story.
4: Thank you. Thank you to you, Maria, for such the, the warm introduction. And um, and I very happily um, worked closely with Kin Connector because um, I'm an attorney at the Temple Legal Aid Office in Philadelphia. Um, and I was granted a, a funding for two years to really focus on kinship caregivers and um, helping them navigate their legal rights and um, identifying different advocacy strategies. So um, what's that, what that's looked like has been um, representing Kinship caregivers both in um, child welfare cases and also in custody cases. Um, And uh, so working with families who are working in child welfare and outside of child welfare um, and navigating, you know, what are what are your rights and it's really overwhelming and can be um, very confusing so it's been an honor to get to do that. So um, that being said, my, the wisdom I want to share is, um, first, if you are uh, child welfare involved, um, one thing you should know if the child lives with you, if you're their placement resource, that your rights are very limited. Um, you are viewed in terms of the system as their foster placement, and foster parents have very few rights. Um, so that being said, what you should do is make as many allies, not enemies, as possible, um, even though the process can be slow. It can be frustrating. Um, you don't want to burn bridges. You don't want to make enemies um, because you're working with these people. And ultimately, you have the same goal, which is the child's um, safety and well-being. So um, I think it's really important to do that because it can be frustrating and you can want to lash out, try not to do that. Um- But that being said, you also wanna make sure that you know who the child's attorney or advocate is, um, who the parents' attorneys are, if they have them and you have a good relationship with the parents. Um, And also you wanna keep track of all of your caseworkers' names, their numbers, what agency they're from, because in a lot of counties there are multiple agencies um, and their supervisors' information. So as much as you can while the child's with you, keep track of that information because those people can change and also, if you have any trouble down the line, um, it can be hard to backtrack and find all of that information. So you wanna just stay on top of keeping that information, who's who um, and who can you be in touch with if you have any issues. So um, that being the child's attorney or advocate, parents attorneys and all of your caseworkers who are involved. Um, happy to answer more questions about that. But if you're not child welfare involved, and um, I would say a majority of kinship families are You know, families are are wonderful. I love working with families because um, the natural supports, there's this natural um, drive to support the people in your family. And so a lot of families are doing this without any system involvement, um, and that might be you. Um, So if you're doing that outside of any agency, government, um, child protection agency involvement, the first thing that you should know is that you don't have to have custody if you're working with the parents. And a lot of, I would say this is the biggest group of kinship caregivers who are caring for kids they work with the parents when they need consents for school or doctors parents are able to get the consents um, sometimes uh it helps for kinship caregivers to get a signed affidavit from the parents that says, um, This person, I name this person, they can um, get whatever medical needs are recommended or necessary for my child's well being. Um, uh, that affidavit might help facilitate some of the um, doctor's visits that you often need parental consent for. Um, so that can help. Um, but usually, you know, um, I folks don't go and file for custody unless they start to run into problems where there's conflicts with the parents. There's concerns that the parents are going to come pick up the kids and that wouldn't be safe. Um, or uh, the parents have disappeared and you can't find them to track down their their assigned consent. So um, if that's the case, um, then you. Uh, you may may want to file for custody. Um, the thing you should know, so I'll get to what you should do. But so what you should know is you don't have to file for custody, um, but you may want to if you are running into conflicts. Um, the other thing you should know is that you don't have, you're not required to have a lawyer to file for custody, although um, it can be really helpful and may even be really necessary if things are pretty complicated, um, uh, because the lawyer will be help help you be able to navigate some of the ins and outs of kinship um, rights. So what you should do is evaluate your situation and see if you're able to navigate um, your caregiving role without having to file for custody or without getting child welfare involved. And the second thing you should do if you are having troubles, if you're running into issues with the school or the parents, um, is to get information about what's called third party standing. And that's when a third party, a non-parent, wants to file for custody, Um, and you should consult with an attorney, um, even if it's just an initial consult, um, whether or not you retain them to, to talk with them about you know, if you're somebody who would qualify to file for custody. So um, those are my two cents. Happy to talk more about that as questions come up.
0: Thank you, Carissa. That was very helpful. And again, one of the things that I do love about Carissa is that she makes legal stuff understandable. That is definitely a gift. So now we'd like to introduce our final panelist, and that's Christy Stanek.
5: Good morning, everyone. My name is Christy Stanek. Um, I'm with the Office of Children and Families in the Courts which is under the Administrative Office of Pennsylvania Courts. Um, My office oversees and assists um, all dependency courts in Pennsylvania Uh, working directly with the judges, the attorneys, and the child welfare administrators. I've been here for 10 years. Prior to this, I was in a child welfare agency for over 14 years um, and did casework and uh, supervision and also I was deputy administrator. So I'm blessed to have sort of both sides of the fence um, when we're talking about this topic. Um, The things that I would like you to know is one, Um, We know how critically important having children placed with someone that they know and love is to their well-being. Um, We know that children uh, fare better in educational settings. We know they fare better emotionally. Um, Their stability is better. Um, So we know that the work that you all are doing with people that you love is making an impact on these children's lives, not just today, but also um, down the road into their adult years. So thank you for what you do. We know it is difficult um, to navigate this crazy system sometimes. And we also know that you oftentimes are dealing with things um, on a personal level, um, possibly you know with, with re- your own family, relatives um, that you're struggling with. Um, and we know all that. So we, we appreciate that as a court and we know the work you're doing is, is fantastic. Um, what I would like for you to know is that um, this topic of kinship care is a priority for the Supreme Court. In October of 2020, the Chief Justice Max Baer um, convened a task force, a kinship care task force um, to look at kinship care use in Pennsylvania um, and why some counties had high use and some counties had lower use. It is a priority for him personally, um, this is just a passion of his to make sure that uh, I think it's his last you know, real big task that he wants to focus on before his mandatory retirement at the end of 2022. Um, but he believes wholeheartedly that when children are removed, we all know how traumatic that can be for a child. When they go from their home of origin to somebody that they know and love and that loves them, um, it lessens that trauma for that child. And so for that reason, um, he convened the task force. Um, I am the staff for our office um, that over helps assist and oversee that, along with my boss Sandy Moore. Um, just to give you a little insight into some of the things that that are happening in Pennsylvania with kinship and with this task force, um, we uh, have pulled data in Pennsylvania. We first wanted to take a look at what does our data look like. Um, we looked at where do children go upon their removal their first placement ever Um, and we looked at a point in time data Um, currently 44 percent is the state average meaning that 44 percent of pennsylvania's children that have been removed from the home are placed with someone they know and love 20 counties in pennsylvania 20 of the 67 counties um, are at or above the state average we are examining all of those counties were looking at um, barriers to use, We're looking at strategies that counties um, are putting into place to increase their kinship care use. We also took a, law, a look at laws, uh, regulations, um, state laws, federal laws, custody laws, um, case law um, and, and, and rules, uh, which are similar to regulations in the legal world. Um, There are 32 that we could identify um, prioritizing kinship care um, as as the the main kind of option um, when a child is removed from the home. So there are 39 laws uh, and and rules prioritizing uh, agencies to look at kinship and consider kinship when a child has to be removed from the home. Uh, We also took a look at myths. Uh, What are some of the myths Myths that are in place that maybe prevent um, folks from seeking out kin. Um, so we 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 look at we looked at that. Um, there is a law Act 14 of 2019, um, which really puts a strong emphasis on kinship care and and family finding and family involvement in a child's life. That law requires the court to ask about family at every proceeding. So. It, you you do have a voice in in these proceedings and it is it's an important voice the court wants to hear from you um, and and the court has to make a finding that efforts were made to include family in not just the placement but also um, the planning for the case and the service delivery to the child and to the parents um, so there is a law in place that um, that really, does give you um, quite, a, quite a bit of importance in, in these cases. Um, we provided an education to the dependency judges this past July in Hershey at um, the State Trial of Judges Conference, um, provided them with the laws that we identified, those 39 laws that I talked about, as well as kind of a glimpse as to where the task force is at this time. Currently underway is a kinship care analysis in three counties um, who volunteered. We um, are are trying to take a deeper dive, look at um, uh, why some some counties are able to um, have high use and why some have lower use. We're looking at supports around kinship care and what supports are out there to provide you as kinship caretakers um, uh, assistance, when you have uh, someone that's living with you in your family, we know that it's difficult. Um, we know there are often, you know, some behavior challenge, behavioral challenges, emotional challenges, financial challenges. Um, so what services and what supports are out there? Um, and if there are any lacking, what can we as a system do to, to put those into place? Um, so those, th- those analysis, the analysis in those three counties are currently underway. Um, I have two of those counties completed. Um, And what that consisted of is me observing court in those counties, um, court for children who have been removed from the home, Um, looking at children who are removed from the home but currently in foster care, um, traditional foster care and looking to see um, what maybe was was a gap that wasn't done, what was a barrier to um, identifying kinship care. Um, We're also looking at the supports that attorneys can provide in these cases. So looking at legal representation and how that um, might be able to be enhanced. Judges are governed by laws and rules, not regulations. So it is possible um, that the agency could say, um, you know, you don't meet this regulation. However, you're still very appropriate and your home is appropriate. Um, Some of the regulations um, you know, certainly there are regulations around safety and those are critically important. Um, other, other regulations might include, you know, the number of beds that you have. Um, uh, do you have your, uh, I think one of them is, do you, do you have any alcohol in the home? And how is that locked, you know, is that locked up? And so there's regulations that, um, that the court may determine, this is not critical enough and doesn't involve safety enough, Um, to have this child placed in uh, a home with someone that they don't know. And so the court can override that regulation and place um, the child in your home, despite a regulation not um, uh, saying otherwise. Sorry, Brian, I had to say that. Um, Also uh, emergency, if if you are an emergency caretaker um, or, or would like to be an emergency caretaker, it takes literally hours It can be done that quickly. Um, the home study for, for um, you know, receiving you know, long-term assistance, financial assistance, there's more that the agency has to go through in order to make that happen. But if your loved one, um, if there's a crisis that happens and your loved one um, is gonna be removed from the home, um, you can be approved as an emergency caretaker um, literally within hours I know. I've done them. Um, So it does not require the length of time um, that would would constitute putting your loved loved one or your child in traditional foster home um, while a long 30 or 60 day home study is completed. Um, That is for a separate purpose. There is an avenue of emergency caretaker that would allow you to be the first um, placement resource. Um, what I would would recommend that you do um, is tell your family members about the information that you're hearing today. Um, Have a conversation, particularly if you you know you have uh, family members that maybe are having difficulties right now or they're struggling right now or you're concerned that you have someone that is raising children that that might be at risk of losing their child in the near future. Have these conversations so that your family knows what's available. Um, Call the agency, um, make sure your voice is heard, make sure people know that you're out there. Um, And if you can't get a caseworker, call and ask for their supervisor. And if you can't get the supervisor, call and ask for the director. And if you can't get the director, ask who the solicitor is and call the solicitor. Um, The solicitor has a responsibility to provide all information to the court with regards to family. Um, and again, that is supported by Act 14 of, of 2019. So I, I would recommend that you keep calling. I know it's frustrating, but keep calling until you um, are able to, to reach somebody. It may take a caseworker uh, a day or so to get, to get back to you, but it certainly should not take a caseworker uh, a week to get back to you. So it, it is it's very important for you to continue to kind of get your voice out there. Um, I mentioned the solicitor. The solicitor is the attorney that represents the agency. They are the one that is responsible for preparing the agency's case and presenting it to to the court. Um, So certainly, you you know, leaving them a a message that you are there, you are a relative, you are interested is a piece of information that the solicitor would want to know. Um, If you are in contact with your family member that is involved and you know um, that, that they have, the mother has a parent attorney or the father has a parent attorney, the child has a guardian ad litem, which is an attorney for the, for, for the, uh, for the child, ask who those names are and make sure that you get, get, again, get your information out there, let those attorneys know that you are there, you are willing and you would like to be considered. Um, they will present that information to the court. If you get involved, go to court, the the judges want to know you, the judges want to see you, they want to hear from you. Um, There is support financially and other means within counties to help you raise um, your family member or your your loved one. Um, So know that that is is available. If you are struggling and you you are involved in the court, the court wants to know that. Um, The court would much rather have a child placed with somebody that they know and love um, than not. Um, so so please make sure that you uh, share that with the court. Uh, I think there was one piece of information and I can't find my note on it. Um, oh, uh, it, it, it's also important for you to know that by law, kin is defined as an individual with a significant positive relationship with a child and family. So as in Patty's case, Um, It doesn't just have to be somebody that you're related to um, by blood. If you have a friend who is struggling or a neighbor, or perhaps, you know, like many of us who have kids, you know, our kids' friends come over to our house. Sometimes we know those kids better than we know kids within our own families. You would be considered kin to those children. So um, so keep that in mind um, if you see, you know, a concern there. So I, th- I think that's it. Uh, I think that's it for me. And again, just thank you for um, thank you for, for keeping your family close and um, for keeping your loved ones um, within the family structure.
0: Thank you, Christy. That was terrific. You um, definitely gave us a lot of really useful information. So now we are moving into our Q&A portion of the meeting. So I will um, first start with um, some of the questions that we have, and then we'll alternate it with Candy um, collecting questions from the audience. So the first question I have is for Brian. And Brian, this represents questions that we will often get. So it says, I want to be a formal kinship caregiver, but my caseworker isn't giving me that option. What can I do?
2: So I would agree with what uh, Christy said. Um, When, if you're having trouble with the caseworker, contact the agency and ask for the supervisor. Um, Ask for the the, uh, director. If you don't get satisfaction there, ask for the solicitor. Uh, if you've been, been through the agency and you feel like your questions aren't being answered or, or you're not getting, uh, you know, you should be able to become a formal kinship, but you're not being permitted to for whatever reason, um, one of the options is to contact the commissioners. Um, county children and youth agencies are actually overseen by the county commissioners. Uh, they are the elected officials that run the county or, or your home rule board, if you're a home rule county. Uh, but you may be able to have some success reaching out to your, your commissioners to um, uh, check into it at the county level on your behalf. Um, and if you're not able to get the satisfaction you're looking for at the county level, um, Pennsylvania is a county ad- administered system, uh, meaning the counties do the work. Uh, But it's overseen by the Department of Human Services at the Office of Children, Youth and Families, which is the the state entity that licenses the county children youth agencies. Um, So if you're you're not able to get that satisfaction at the county level, you can contact your regional Office of Children, Youth and Families office and and speak with um, whoever the representative is, is there that is Licensing uh, the county agency, and they can look into it on your behalf as well. So that would be the your, your course to go through.
0: So Brian, um, given that sometimes what people will tell us is that you know they talk with one person, that person tells them one thing, and then they talk with another person, and that person tells them something else. So is there any official? written information that they can look so that they have kind of a more of a guideline that's going to be consistent in terms of what they can do what they can expect what their rights are etc.
2: I would say something like the King connector would probably be an excellent source to look to. Now, uh, at the county level there's going to be some counties have more written materials than others. Um, and the. The downside of having uh, a county run system is that we kind of have 67 different ways of doing things and varying levels of, of uh, implementation. So um, while there are universal rules set out at the state state level in terms of you have to, to locate kin first, how that's actually put into effect varies, can, can vary tremendously from, from county to county. So. Um, your best best, try to work with the county as much as you can. Um, there are a lot of sources on the internet if you're looking for additional information, but um, kind of work your way up through the county system and, and ultimately contact the regional offices of OCYF if you're, you're not getting where you need to be at the county.
0: All right. Great. Thank you. Although I did love your first answer. They definitely should contact us. All right.
1: So, Candy, what is the first question from the audience? I have a question from Liz. It says, why do foster parents have such few rights? We are so heavily involved with the process and the challenges, but are so disrespected and our perspective in the case is rarely valued. who would like to take that? I'm the one
4: who said foster parents have a few rights. So maybe I'll, I'll take the first, um, swing at that, at answering that. So first of all, Liz, thank you for your question. Um, sorry that you're feeling underappreciated and unheard, um, because you're right. You as the kinship caregivers are the current expert on, you know, the child's well-being. um, on the, on a day-to-day basis. So, um, One of the rights that foster parents do have is the right to be heard. And so um, the law does recognize that um, foster parents should be heard on making decisions and what's in the best interest of the child. So, um, so talk with your caseworker about, you know, or go up the chain of command if you need to, to say, hey, I have some concerns about decisions that are being made for the child's best interest, and um, and I have the right to be heard, and I want to be heard by the judge on who's making these decisions. Um, but I think to answer your question, the reason why foster parents have such limited rights is because if you think about how the foster system is set up, and I think there's there are movements to change, to recognize how important kin are, how kinship placements are different than regular foster placements. Um, But if you think about in terms of like a a regular foster placement, if I decide to sign up and decide to become a foster parent and children are placed in my home, um, the idea is that they're going to be with me temporarily. They're going to, you know, hopefully go back to their parents. Um, And really I'm just providing a temporary um, home for them. Um, And so I shouldn't be able to go into court and say well I have rights to these kids and it feels really different when you're kin because you have other connections to these children they're not some strangers kids in your in your home Um, but that's kind of the foundation of why why I would say foster parents aren't recognized as having very many rights Um, but I, I think there is some movement to change that specifically for kinship placements but that's kind of why that is the way that it is
0: Great. Thank you, Carissa. All right. So um, our next question, this is for Christy. And um, this is a question that we get quite a bit from some of our families. So we have a situation where um, a kinship, potential kinship caregiver finds out that someone is in foster care. So this question says, my nephew is in foster care. How can I get him?
5: So that's, that's a great question, and I, I think that one of the things that I've already noticed and, and that I think you all will hear is some repeat themes as we all talk. And I think it's good because some of these things are really important, and to hear them over and over, I think, is, is valuable um, to you all. Um, again, I, my position and what my recommendation to you would be is that you as a family member, you as a relative, are a priority, you are a priority for uh, the agency. You're a priority for the court. Um, we want children to be with people that they know and love. So I would recommend that um, as quickly as you can to notify the agency. Um, one of the things that we see often is that a relative doesn't come forward for a while. Um, and so, you know, a child will be in um, traditional foster care. Um, for months, we've we've seen it for years, um, and there was a known relative that either you know wasn't sure on how to to approach the situation, or thought maybe things were getting better, um, or maybe was out of state, so so they weren't sure if they still uh, could access uh, the same support or, the, or if they were they would be uh, useful being in out of state. The answer to all of that is yes, you are still important if you're out of state. Um, There are are ways that we can um, get you approved um, out of state, um, but notify somebody as quickly as possible because every day that that your loved one is, is in a traditional foster home, they are being further disconnected from the family values, the family traditions, think about everything that happens you know, in a family, um, whether it's birthday parties, whether it's holidays, whether whatever it might be, that child is missing out on those things. And they're, they're, they're losing their contact and their connections, their sense of who I am, their sense of belonging. So every day matters. Um, I always say, you know, imagine your own child. How long would be too long for them to live with somebody that they don't know? Um, and, and for most of us, that would be five minutes, right? So notify somebody as quickly as possible. Um, And as Brian said, as I mentioned, if you don't have luck on the phone, keep calling up the the chain. Um, I know that we have a pandemic happening. I know that in some counties it is um, more dangerous than others with higher numbers. But if you are able and if you feel it's safe, um, it's really hard to ignore somebody that's standing in your office. Um, so, you know, you, you could go there and say, I'm going to go ahead and sit here in the waiting room until I talk to somebody today. Um, and that might speed things up for you instead of doing the phone dance, because I, I know we've, we've, we hear all about the phone dance. Um, and I know that it's a real thing at times, um, for, for some folks. Um, again, I would say if you have a relationship with your relative, so the nephew's mother or father reach out to them ask them if they have an attorney, Um, ask them if they know their attorney's phone number, sit there with them while they call their their attorney and say, hey, I have a relative that wants to be considered as a resource. That attorney um, will take that information to court. That attorney has the ability to file an immediate motion so that you don't have to wait 90 days, possibly until the next hearing. That attorney can file a motion immediately to have you considered. And if you know your if your nephew is of age, it depends on the age of the nephew. Obviously, if you're talking about a child or an infant, he's not going to be able to tell you much about um, who his attorney is. But certainly if it is a teenager, certainly if it is a school age child that's able to to communicate with you, they will hopefully um, know who their attorney is. And again, reach out to that attorney. Let them know you're there. Let them know that you're available. This process of you being considered and you being looked into and you being approved, if appropriate, does not have to go on for months and months and months. Um, It can all be resolved in a very short number of days, if not sooner.
0: Terrific, thank you so much for that answer and that clarification.
1: All right, Candy, the next question from the audience. Okay, this question is from Amber. Um, My daughter passed away in January of this year My husband and I went for custody of our granddaughter, who is now 11 months old. We lost uh, my daughter to my daughter's boyfriend because the judge said he is the dad because he signed a voluntary paternity before my daughter's death. We asked for a paternity test and we were told no. I don't understand why a paternity test can't be taken. What if he's not really her dad and now she lives with him in Maryland and we only get her once a month?
0: uh, that sounds like a Carissa question. Yeah, I'm happy
4: to jump in again. Um, so, Amber, I would say that um, that you can challenge paternity. There's a, a there is a way that you can challenge paternity, but it depends on specific laws. And so, I would say you really because you already asked the judge to uh, order a paternity test, and that request was denied. Um, you probably want to talk to a, a lawyer who can make a legal argument to the court. Um, under these are the reasons why um, paternity should be challenged. So the the court has incentive to find that children have parents and not make them orphans. And so so there is motivation for the court to say okay this guy said he's the father you know there's nobody else saying they're the father so you know we have no reason to challenge that unless there are certain things under the law like um, in access he was not with your daughter um, he's infertile he can't have kids um, so there's certain things that um, legally allow someone to challenge paternity um, but you probably want to talk to a lawyer so they can help you navigate that um, to make sure that uh, that you can challenge that in a way that the court will hear it.
0: Thanks, Carissa. One uh, question I have, and, and Patty, maybe you can help with this. So what if they go, they do the paternity test, find out he is in fact the father, but these grandparents still want, you know, maybe more interaction with the grandchild. Is there something that you could recommend in helping kind of, you know, bring that family together in a way that, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to benefit the child if both the father and the grandparents have more involvement. So is there, would there be a place for your organization or what you do in the event that he actually is the father?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So what we have done is we have reached out to um, judges as a whole, not just dependency judges, to say, listen, this is a Format that could be utilized in many other settings besides just child welfare, one of which is custody. It just seems like a very natural place to have a meeting where people can kind of come in in a neutral setting and be able to focus on a purpose and ideally come to um, a resolution. It's not mediation, so I do want to clarify that, Um, but there are certain things that would be similar. Um, So to answer your direct question, unless that uh, particular county offered the ability to have family groups in their custody court. Um, the only other thing I would recommend is to, for the the this, yeah, you know woman who's asking this question, I'm, I apologize, I missed the name, um, to reach out um, to the individual agencies such as myself, there's agencies like mine in every county, and say, hey, are you accepting community referrals? And they're just direct referrals from the community that um, the agency is able to you know, support and they would go through that whole coordination process just like they would if it had been a child welfare referral and ultimately get to a family group conference. Now, I will tell you in order to have that meeting, the all parties must be in agreement with the meeting. So it's nothing that uh, judge, we ask judges, please don't order these because it becomes so, you know, adversary. Um, so there, there's several factors going on with that. Is it possible? Yes, but I think it would be very dependent upon what's going on in um, that particular county.
0: Okay. And can
4: I just say one more thing in response to your? If he is the father, then um, one week a month is actually really good um, as parent, as grandparents. A lot of grandparents don't get that much custody. And um, under the law, there are certain things that qualify you as grandparents to look for custody um, against a parent. And one of those is if you're the parents of the of a parent who is deceased. So that would qualify you. So if he is the parent, I would say keep your one week. Take as many as much time as um, he'll offer you. Um, because, um, you know, yeah, it's it's hard. It can be hard to get custody from parents um, who are actively involved in their kids' lives if you're not the parent. So um, take advantage of that.
0: Okay. Thank you. Um, so the next question, Patty, this one is a, a question that's actually for you. It's kind of similar to the one we just had, but um, a slight nuance that's different. So uh, this question is, what options do I have if my daughter wants visitation, but I don't feel it's safe for my
3: grandchildren? I, I, what I would like to do, you know, when I respond to that is it really makes a difference in terms of whether or not they're involved in children and youth, whether or not they're involved with children and youth in court is involved. And the reason I say that is because if the judge has already determined visitation, there'd be nothing that we per se could do um, unless the daughter was open to the possibility of, of, you know, collaboratively saying to the judge, hey, I'm okay with shifting this. What I would still recommend though, and I can't recommend this enough is whenever there's a, an ability or a, an, an agreement amongst the family to sit down together and talk, what we have learned over and over again is there's so much, Misunderstandings. There's so many hard feelings. There's so many, like, so to speak, luggage, you know, that has gotten in the way. In this format, I just want to tell you that what we stress in these meetings is safety. And I don't mean just physical safety, it's more so emotional safety. So we take the time as coordinators to talk with each person individually before we collect everybody together. And in those conversations, we're saying, Ta- ta- talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Most of the time, the, the the negativity or the conflict is originating from some level of fear, like from perhaps from the mom's perspective, the fear that I'm going to lose my kids, and I'm they're going to think I don't love them, and I you know, and no one's listening to me. The fear from the grandparents, I'm fearful that if I allow this to be more open, something's going to happen to these kids, and these kids have been through enough. So, so much of this is a matter of Let's let's really sit down and, and clear the air in a safe environment. But the first thing in a family group conference that happens is we talk about strengths. And that is a real different way of looking at a situation. When you're in a crisis, when you're in chaos, when you're angry, when you're real upset, it is difficult to zero in on what is going right. One of the things that that coordinator will do is make sure everybody's prepared to go in the meeting with the strength. Based focus, and what that does, it breaks down so many barriers. Um, when the daughter is able to say something positive about the mother, the mother's saying something positive about the daughter, people's you know defenses immediately start going down, and and there's a much more open format, uh, an opportunity to have some then you know really good conversations about what can we agree to, what, how much will you shift, how much will you shift. The most important thing, you know, is that people come in just willing to talk. They don't have to be happy about it. They don't have to like the people. We always say that. But if you can come in willing, we can do a whole lot with that.
0: And then, Patty, do you do follow-ups after the meetings or what happens
3: next? That's a really good question. First of all, the way we look at it, particularly if it's a child welfare-involved referral, Unless that case is closed in some way, we should continually have follow-up meetings. The most we can hope in the first setting is that the key, what we call bottom line concerns, the, the top one or two things that are overwhelming get addressed or begin to get addressed. It is very unlikely that any family, specifically my own, would be able to come together and in one fell swoop, one couple hour meeting, be able to address all the things that legitimately need addressed. Um, as it relates to that child or that those children. So um, we, to answer your question, we always encourage follow-up conferences. And we use the analogy, listen, if your children and youth worker workers sitting there doing a family service plan with you, they're constantly updating it. In lieu of them sitting behind a desk and writing that plan out for you, why not come together and just keep updating the plan that you yourself as a team have generated? Um, and it just and, and to my earlier point when I, we first came on, I just want to really stress to, to the kinship families and providers here your voice is crucial in this process. And I completely agree with Krista in terms of legally, you don't have a whole lot of quote rights, but in these formats, you have a strong voice. Um, and, and that's what we want. It, the, the bottom line is whatever we can do that's going to mitigate or decrease the trauma for these children. Um, And that's what we really talk to the adults separately about. Listen, this truly is not about you in the nicest way possible. You know, we have got to keep focused on how this experience can be reasonable and, and good and positive for these kids.
0: Terrific. Thank you. Candy, the next question from the audience.
1: Okay, I have one from Lori, it says, why do families have to sign over a child to the state for six months while they go through the process of becoming formal foster kinship placement? And what three counties are participating in the study? So I'll
5: answer that backwards. Um, the three counties that are participating in the study are uh, Montgomery, Delaware, and Dauphin. And I, I would have to get a little bit more information to, I think, fully answer that first question. But there are, um, I'm looking for it so I can, I can see it again. There are other ways. Um, you, a child doesn't have to be put into the system just you know, if you, if you get involved early enough, there are other ways such as guardianship and, and uh, custodianship that um, can help the child be safe without coming into the system. So I, I would have to kind of hear a little bit more information about that. Maybe the others want to chime in, but hopefully we're not just putting kids into the system for, uh, for that, that purpose. I think there are other ways that, that relatives can get involved. And we see that every day um, where they come early on and, you know, a family receives custodianship or guardianship um, or, or custody and, and, the, and the families work out these arrangements um, independent of the system. So we see that happening all
4: the time. Yeah. And I, I would jump in and say that, um, Lori, I'd love to know what county you're in because um, we have counties that do things differently. And so um, if your county is making kinship caregivers um, go through the whole licensing process and the children are placed in a general foster home and a stranger foster home for six months while you go through that process, um, the state doesn't require that. And so I would say that's not best practice for the county. Um, But the other thing that I think is important to understand is that when you are becoming a formal kinship placement, you are going through the licensing process. And um, what that means is the county actually has gone to the court and petitioned the court to take custody of the child. And that's how they've been able to take the child away from their parents. So when you're going through the formal placement, um, Families aren't really signing rights over to the court because um, the county agency, the Child Protection Agency, has gone to the court and said, hey, we, the government, need custody of the child. And so that's why then they decide where the child is going to be placed, whether that's with kin or in a general foster home. Um, Obviously, kin should be prioritized. So, um, so. I hope that kind of clarifies a little bit of, of the county maintains custody, um, even once the child is placed with you in your formal, um, placement, but, um, yeah, it's not great. I don't think it's good practice to have, um, the child placed with strangers until you get licensed, if that's what your county
1: is doing. And Lori did respond in her, she is from Luzerne County.
4: And I'm not very, I'm not, I don't know if anybody else is very familiar with Luzerne County, but, um. Sound, if that's the practice, then it sounds like some advocacy needs to happen there um, in that county to not have kids go through. The point of kinship is so you're not traumatizing children by putting them in a stranger's home. And so um, there are mechanisms that the county can use in order to put a child with kin while kin is going through the licensing process. And I know in Philadelphia County, they have 60 days to complete the process, which is um, very rapid. It's kind of a whirlwind to do that, but they are able to place kids with kin from the get-go, from the first day that they're taken from their parents.
5: And there are other means of, you know, um, of assistance. You know, a family may say, we don't want to become formal foster parents. Um, We're just going to go through, you know, the Department of Public Assistance and see if we can get any, you know, assistance that way. Um, some families will say, we don't need the financial assistance. We just want our family member placed with us. So there are other, I guess, scenarios um, that, that could play out and that we have seen. Um, so it really depends on your specific situation, your specific um, means and, and need for support.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, all right, this next question is for Carissa. And again, it's a little bit like the question we just answered, but a, a bit of a nuance. So, how can I obtain legal custody of my grandchildren? And if Children and Youth doesn't have an open case,
4: yeah. So, good question. So, um, if if Children is in Youth, either is um, choosing not to petition the court to take custody of the child, or they're just not involved at all, um, then then the question is, um, you know, do you do you want to go and file for custody? And the first question with that is, do you have standing? So do you qualify as somebody to file for custody? So um, if the children are living with you, chances are you probably qualify to file for custody. If the kids aren't living with you, um, specifically if they're living with their parents, it might be a little bit more complicated. You should talk to an attorney. Um, but if the kids are living with you, um, then you likely qualified to file for custody, then what you would wanna do, the process is um, to call or visit your county's prothonotary office. And um, that's a, a big word that we don't use usually, so I'll, throw that, I'll put that in the chat. Um, but uh, you'll go to the, your county's prothonotary office and actually um, children, um, you'll wanna file up in the county where the child has lived in the, for the past six months Um, because that's the county that has jurisdiction or they have the right to decide custody things about the child. So you wanna go there, contact them. A lot of counties have their own um, pro se if you are representing yourself. it's called pro se is the legal term. Um, A lot of them have intake days or they'll have a special packet for people who are filing without an attorney. So you'll want to ask the um, prothonotary's office about that. Um, And they might have some information about how you do that specifically in your County. Usually then what you'll do is you'll fill out a a form um, that says, here's why I qualify. Here's why it's in the child's best interest to live um, with me, for me to have custody of them. Um, And um, There also, I should mention, if you are low income, you might qualify for a fee waiver because there is a fee to file for custody in each county and that fee changes depending on the county. So you want to find out what that is. Um, Also, if they take um, cash check, cashiers check, that kind of thing. Um, And so you'll fill out that paperwork, um, you'll turn it into the county and um, and they will. outline the process for you from there. Um, you might, if you are looking for an attorney, which you um, might want to do, like I mentioned, especially if, if your situation is complicated or if the child isn't living with you full-time, um, that can be a little bit harder to navigate. So um, you can find an attorney by searching for the lawyer referral service. The Pennsylvania Bar Association has one, um, and some of the larger counties have their own county-specific um, lawyer referral service. And what they'll do is they'll connect you. You tell them, you know, here's what I'm looking for. Here's my, my problem. They'll connect you to an, an attorney who can talk to you um, about that and maybe represent you if you choose to, to do that. Um, and again, if you have low income, you might qualify for free legal services um, and you can contact the Pennsylvania Legal Aid Network network. Um, so the Pennsylvania Legal Aid Network, um, they have nonprofits throughout the state and um, they oftentimes will take custody cases for those who have um, low income and can't afford a private attorney.
0: Thank you, Krista. Uh, okay, Candy, um, you can ask the rest of the, que- or as many as we can get to from the okay. audience.
1: Um, All right, this question, question is from Lottie. It says, what can be done When a child comes to PA from another state through the court in the other state, when the other state CYS sidesteps, the interstate compact, unbeknownst to the court involved, PA CYS involvement in the case was as a
3: courtesy. Um, I would just mention that I I have to tell you, first of all, I'm going to have to be signing off, um, and I wanted to thank everybody. But just to comment on that particular question. That's exactly what happened in my uh, personal situation with my daughter. Um, Pennsylvania was the, you know, providing the courtesy supervision. The, my daughter actually was born in Virginia. So what happened in our case is basically Dauphin County assigned a caseworker and Dauphin County also contracted with a provider agency to come in and do our home study, to do all of our interviews, to do all of our background checks, et cetera. The caseworker would come to our home and and do the visits. Um, And they just pretty much basically did what Virginia would have done had the child been in Virginia. Um, It is a slow moving process. It took us, um, uh, oh, my gosh, I'd say a good four, six months just to even get the child in our home. And then it was another several months till they were able to completely, you know, clear, clear us, so to speak. Um, I, so I will just tell you that, you know, I was going to bring it up anyway, in terms of the interstate compact, for those of you who may have, um, a child that you're trying to help in another state to Christie's point earlier, what I did to try to facilitate that and make that happen is it was just bombarding the agency with, with emails, with calls. Um, and like Chris had said earlier in a, you know, a pleasant way, but a very consistent way, um, And when, you know, the child was in my home, I was continually in touch with Virginia children and youth um, just to make sure I was being informed, to make sure that they knew what was going on. I just would stress that um, you have to be incredibly persistent, um, especially when interstate is involved and you have to really push for information to be shared. I'm sure there's a lot of legalities that Carissa (laughs) could speak to, but I just wanted to say uh, from a personal standpoint, just to be very persistent, keep that the lines of communication open with both the other state's children and youth agency and your state, your county children and youth agency.
1: Thank you, Patty. Okay, um, the next question is from Deborah. This question is for Christy. In the three counties that you are analyzing, do you speak with formal and informal kinship families to hear their stories and get their input. What course would you recommend for pa for a PA family who has been trying for four years to get their grandchildren out of foster care in another state they made their wish to have the children placed with them from the very beginning?
5: So I'll answer the, the, the first part of the question first. Um, at this point in time, our focus for the analysis, um, I'm sure this will be a, a multiple step process, but what we're focusing on right now is looking at the systemic issues. So looking at, um, you know, at the beginning of the case, you know, did, did the agency look for family? Was family explored? Um, did family come forward and, and and were not considered? Did the court ask the right questions? Did the attorneys ask the right questions? Um, was, was support provided if Kin was involved? So at this point, stage of the analysis, we are, um, again, observing court. Um, We're looking at the files, um, the court files. Um, I have done interviews with um, all of the caseworkers in the agency um, that have the cases asking those types of questions. Um, But at this stage, we're looking at the systemic issues, asking that overarching question, um, is there something that the professionals missed? Is there something that the professionals should have asked? Is there something that the professionals could have done differently um, to to increase, you know, kinship care use in this particular case? So that's where we're at now. We have certainly discussed within the task force that, um, you know, when we get to that point of what supports are out there and and what's available, um, listening to and and talking with kinship um, or kinship caregivers so that we can understand what those needs are and so that we can understand some of the themes around um, the gaps in services. So yes, we have talked about that within the task force, um, but at this stage of the analysis, we're looking at the systemic issues and where was the breakdown there. Uh, the second the second question with regards to um, the grandparents and in, in, in the, the dealing with the other state. First of all, it saddens me to know that uh, grandparents have um, come forward, and it's been four years that potentially, you know, a child has been living um, in uh, a traditional foster home and, and for four years been disconnected from um, biological family and, and people who they, they love and, and feel like they belong to. So that saddens me. Um, I, I would say that every state's laws are different. Um, I don't know what state that is. I don't know what those state laws are. Um, I think it, it's, it's very frustrating when, when you're dealing with another state. Pennsylvania is, system um, is actually very advanced in comparison to the rest of the country. I know that from sitting in with other uh, states across the country um, during our court improvement um, uh, conferences and meetings. So um, I would say, and I think this was said before, Uh, Seeking an attorney for yourself, if you have the means to do that, Um, there are ways to to seek uh, attorneys if you um, don't have the means you could possibly qualify for um, some um, some legal aid services, but I think that an attorney is is your best way to go in order to navigate another state's laws and to navigate some of those legal pieces, it gets incredibly complicated. Um, for those of us that are working in the system, it's, it's complicated and frustrated. And oftentimes we we know the avenues to take or we know that the roadblocks um, that could be put up. It, it's it's especially frustrating for all of you who don't work in the system um, to navigate some of that. And that's where having an attorney with you um, to help you do that is incredibly beneficial. Um, you could certainly as a just a kind of a throw in the quick wins out there. You could certainly contact um, the agency down there, and as we said before, every agency has a, an attorney. So contacting that that agency attorney and 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 you know making your desire known. The, the challenge that happens at this stage of the game is now, if that child has been in the same foster home for four years, now they they can be considered as kin. So now you're into, you know, to some challenges there, which is why I. Um, advised, you know, even here in Pennsylvania to notify people as quickly as possible. Um, and it sounds like you did that um, and that something was broken down in the system, which is unfortunate for the child and unfortunate for you and, and certainly frustrating. Um, so get an attorney, um, talk to the agency solicitor in that state if possible, um, and you um, you know I, that would be my recommendation brian and carissa i don't know if you would have any additional legal recommendation um, for her
2: yeah, the, the interstates can be incredibly frustrating um because not only are you you left to the the mercy of one state's bureaucracy in terms of trying to get a home study completed you're now doubling that to two states which may or may not communicate on a regular basis and So um, in order for an interstate compact to go through, the request has to be made from the county requesting the study to go up to the state ICPC office, which then contacts the state ICPC office in the other state, and they contact their local county agency or or their local regional agency if they're a state-run system to go out and initiate a home study. So uh, while it's contemplated and there's actually some incentives if it's done quickly within 30 days, uh, that very rarely is the case and and some states will take substantially longer into the years at times uh, than than other states in order to facilitate that transfer. But the downside, uh, I know one of the questions earlier was what happens if a state just sends them anyway, which sometimes does happen. uh, There are some very real ramifications in terms of not being able to access some of the state funding um, and uh, insurance, if that is the case, when one state will just send a kid to another state for an adoption without their, or a placement without that being approved by that receiving state. So you, you definitely want to try to get it done correctly, if, if at all possible.
1: That's frustrating. I'm sorry, is that they have tried to hire an attorney. And because it's going against DHS, none of the attorneys in that state want to um, take the case on. The kids have been moved three to four times in these four years, and the family already has the youngest sibling which makes it to me
3: even more mind boggling that these kids have been in there for, for four years.
4: Well, and yeah, I, what I would say, I was going to say, you, you definitely want to find an attorney in that state um, who knows that system, but also, as you mentioned that, that can be hard because there can, there are, sometimes attorneys don't want to go against the state um, for whatever reason. Um, but I think it also depends, you know, what, what the reasons are for the delay. So is is it is it bureaucracy? Is it you know the administrative process is taking long, or are there safety concerns the county has about the grandparents? But as you mentioned, if they have the youngest, then that would seem silly that they would have safety concerns if they've already have one child with them. Um, or is it personal bias? Is it the caseworkers um, for whatever reason don't like the grandparents and so are making it hard? Um, and there you might want to ask for a, a different caseworker. Work up the chain of command. Um, I would say that's where you really want to get connected to the the. the child's advocate, the child's attorney, because they're responsible for arguing to the judge it's in the child's best interest to be with in this placement or in that school or whatever it is. And so um, really making that alliance there because they're already charged with, um, with making that argument to the court. And really it is in children's generally in their best interest to be with their grandparents if they can't be with their um, parents. But then also if the grandparents have any relationship with the parents, um, asking the parents to talk to their attorneys to have the, the parents and their attorneys advocate for the children to be with them um, and work up the of command. Those are kind of your, your best uh, advocacy strategies there.
5: And I would also recommend um, to look at visitation because it, it might be, it's, as we know, it's a process for the, for the interstate compact. Um, and, and although the grandparents may want something more quickly, going and talking about receiving some vis- some type of visitation will at least allow them to start having contact And start having that face to face. That transition is, you know, if they're able to get to the point of of the child being placed with them, some type of transitioning is probably going to be in the best interest of the child anyway, since they've been there for four years. So if they can start that visitation process um, and, and they're at least seeing the child, and now, you know, there's all kinds of different means for visitation. Face to face, obviously, is is the preferred. But as we learned over the past year and a half, you can do you can do visitation virtually um, and have that communication and that contact so that that child is getting to know that that grandparent. And so that they're seeing each other um, on a more consistent basis. That's something that can be done more quickly than an ICPC placement.
2: Just one last point on that. Um, Depending on the state, um, a number of states have what's called an office of of child advocate or a child welfare ombudsman, a child protection ombudsman, something along those lines. But essentially, it's a state office whose job is to um, investigate matters that uh, are occurring within the state that may have an impact on the child's well-being. So um, it, it would be worth looking into what state uh, what whether the state has such a, a child protection officer or, or uh, office of, of child advocate or something along those lines because a lot of times they can be very useful in, in helping to get to the bottom of what's going on and, and looking into things.
0: Great, Thank you for those answers. Very, very insightful. Okay, Candy, I think we have time for
1: about two more questions. Okay, I think that's about how many more I have. Um, I am a kinship, this is from Heidi, and she says, I am a kinship care. The children are not biological family, but I have been with them since they were born and to all doctor's appointments, et cetera. Does the biological family have more rights than me? And if so, why? The bio family has not been to any appointments and have not spent a lot of time or with no time with them. So I
4: think the first question is back to Heidi of um, if you it, it really depends. Um, your rights really depend on whether child welfare is involved or not. So if you're county agency, if you're the formal kinship care, or if you're doing it outside of the government um, agency. So that makes a big difference. So if Heidi, if you can answer that for us, that'd be helpful in answering. Um, okay, child welfare is involved. <laughs> um, so. Um oh, well, all right. So uh, I was thinking child welfare might not be involved. So let me let me rethink. So um bio are you are they're not biological families? So it depends on the court. I mean, unfortunately, so the statute, as somebody already mentioned, um includes uh blood relatives as kin, but also those who have a significant positive relationship. So it looks like um you are are not biologically related to the kids and tell me if that's um, incorrect. But if you're not biologically related to the kids, under the statute, you still are kin. You are just as much as um, blood relatives are. So um, the question then, comes to kind of the court's decision and the court weighing um if it comes down to it if say if if biological family members are showing up and saying hey we want the kids with us instead of um, with this family friend um then it it comes down to a question of best interest and and is it in the child's best interest to stay with you or with the biological family? And I, I would say that's a really complicated question for a judge to wrestle through of what is the value of those biological ties versus the attachment ties um, that the children have, um, have surely uh, formed with you as you've been caring for them. And so. Um, If the bio family stepping forward um, and saying, hey, we wanna be the placement for the child, um, probably what will happen is there will be a best interest hearing um, and the child advocate will take a position. Um, You can go in, you could probably have an attorney with you for that. Um, The bio family might have an attorney and everybody makes their arguments to the judge of who the child should be with um, and the judge makes that decision.
5: Some of the factors that the judge will consider I have these conversations with judges all the time, uh, and some of the factors that they will consider um, will be, you know, how long have you been caring for the child, what has been your long-term relationship with the child, Um, which which biological relatives are coming forward, and what has their long-term relationship been with those relatives. Um, I have heard it said more than once, um, what a great problem for a child to have that so many people... Love them, and and want to care for them, and so I think that it's it's really important in these situations, whether it's a non-blood relative or a blood relative, that to keep the child as the center and keep the child as the focus. So, who does the child love? Um, who does the child, um, you know, want to maintain relationships with? And how can we make sure that that happens regardless of who that child lives with? And so I think that. You know, one of the things that we're talking about in the kinship care task force is this like co-parenting of relatives and 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 kin. Um, we see it happen in work every day um, with when when two biological parents divorce, um, and you see 50% custody here or shared custody here, or you know this parent gets the child on the weekends. So we see this this shared um, custody, this co-parenting happen um, every day in our society. And so one of the things that we have, have, have talked about is this idea of co-parenting with relatives and co-parenting with kin. And so how can the child have the best of both worlds um, so that all of the people that they love can be in their life and that it doesn't have to be a choice um, because I think that in the end, you know, the child is going to benefit from that type of love and that type of relationship.
1: Okay. Um, Thank you. And the, okay. And the last question we have is, is there anything in PA concerning abandonment?
4: Yes, <laughs> there's a lot on abandonment. Uh, so it kind of depends, uh, you know, what um, what you're thinking. In terms of abandonment, in terms of custody, you um, is, is not um, specifically outlined. Um, it's not specifically named abandonment, but that would be considered um, if you're filing for custody, um, both whether you can file for custody and um, if you should get custody. Um, there's also, um, yeah, child welfare agencies might take that involved in consideration. Um, I know that's one of that is one of the named considerations in terminating parental rights. If you want to go and adopt a child, um, and parents have abandoned the child, that's uh, one of the um, reasons that you can say their rights should be terminated, so the child can be adopted by whoever they are with. Um, so yes, there there is plenty on abandonment. If a parent has abandoned their child, I would say. From what I've seen, practically, it makes it a lot easier for the caregivers to um, obtain legal rights to the child because the parent isn't involved. Um, They're not performing any parental duties. They're not acting as the child's parent. so somebody else is and who that somebody else is, um, is uh, able, often able to obtain legal rights to um, to effectuate that that role that they've taken on in the child's life.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for uh, all of those answers, um, Carissa and the rest of the panel. So we're now at the end. And so I do first, I wanna thank all of our experts for so graciously sharing their knowledge and their insights. I certainly feel a lot more informed and understand a lot more options that are available to our families. And of course, I wanna thank the kinship families for attending today's session. It's really our hope that this meeting has helped ease some of your worries and also has better equipped you to take care of the children that you are watching. So for those of you who weren't able to write everything down, no worries. Um, We will have a video of this session posted on our website, kinconnector.org. Plus, we're going to compile the information from all of the sessions into one document where we're sharing all of the insights, the information, the wisdom from all of the panelists. We're gonna email that final document to all of the participants, so everyone who attended, as well as the experts themselves. So you can use that as a reference. And of course, we will post that on our website as well. And in fact, our first um, session that we did last week on financial assistance is actually on the website. So if you want to check that out, you can do that as well. So as I mentioned, today was the second of five sessions, and we hope that you will join us for our next session, which is September 15th. Again, same time, 10 a.m. And that session will we will be discuss, discussing mental health and support groups. So again, thank you so much for attending, and I hope you have a good day.